I'm Roger, and this is Two Vets Upstate. We are proud to be broadcasting this to you. I don't know. Is it called broadcasting if it's a podcast? I, I don't know. Yeah, we're recording this uh, from upstate New York, both of us. Um, I am in Red Creek, New York, on the border of Wayne and Cayuga counties. And Andrea, where are you? I am in... Kinderhook, um, on, at, at the Lake Palace. <laughs> well, this may be one of the last few times that we'll actually both be in upstate New York at the same time. So we're trying to make the most of it. And why don't I just kick things off by asking you, Andrea, what are you eating or drinking today? Ah, listen to that. Mm. <laughs> That's the sound of a nine pin being opened. Um, folks, I almost didn't, ha- I didn't, I almost didn't drink a nine pin on the podcast, but I was like, oh my gosh, this is the last time we're both in upstate New York. We're both not on active duty. Neither of us are actively in the employ of the United States government. Like, of course I'm going to open a nine pin, but um, I'm also simultaneously drinking coffee out of my Lieutenant JG Andrea Goldstein Amphibious Squadron 3 mug because I have a paper due for JPME tonight. Um, and because I'm barely home, all I have to eat in the house is like microwavable Amy's. So it's uh, <laughs> pretty sporty here. <laughs> what about you, Roger? Right. I can one up you here. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Oh, yeah, there we go. Man, feels good, right? Yeah. Um, so this is a Warhorse Brewery uh, Peace Bomber. It's brewed in Seneca Lake, New York, um, and it is an ale brewed with Riesling juice from the vines there at the uh, sort of winery brewery complex they got going. Three Brothers Winery in Estates down in Seneca Lake, and it is delish. So oh, I highly... sounds pretty good. Yeah, no, it's not bad, Um, and I'm going to enjoy the heck out of it, this podcast. Um, While I'm drinking this, Andrea, what? tell us what's new with you. So, uh, more big news, but uh, coming soon. But let's, um, so in, in, uh, in Judaism, we're supposed to, or really culturally Judaism, you're supposed to spread out the mitzvahs, right? So... Um, certain things are considered bad luck. Like you're not supposed to get engaged on someone's birthday because the idea is that, um, you know, you're supposed to spread out the happiness. So I've got a bunch of really big announcements right now. Um, but we'll go with the one that is for certain. I am moving to Washington DC on Monday, um, which is just bananas. Um, I put in an offer on a house, but again, spreading out the mitzvahs, I don't know if it's been accepted yet. So I'm stressing about that. Um, Visiting a couple of partner schools from service to school this week. Um, Honestly, I have a lot going on right now that I'm really excited about. And it's just, it seems unreal. Like I'm just waiting for it to all fall apart. Um... And I'm really just trying to remind myself that a lot of, when a lot of good things happen at once, it's because you just worked really hard. Like guys, 
I was just like miserable the entire fall because I was working a hundred hours a week and I've just been traveling nonstop and it just feels like, you know, a lot of things are falling. I would like some more certainty on a couple of things, but things just feel, things feel good right now. Um, I'm not really thrilled that I'm leaving New York. Um, I have only been here full time for like eight months. Um, but it, it's definitely time, um, to head down to DC for the, for, for, because reasons, um, (laughs) and and for that, I'm excited. So Roger, what about you? What's new with you? Well, let's be the first of many times on this show that we say, congratulations to you, Andrea. You certainly deserve it. Um, lots going on here too. I am not Jewish. But I may just end up spreading the happiness and love out anyway. Full time in Syracuse, still waiting for that house to close. Uh, my family is ready. The sellers don't seem to be in as much a hurry as we are to get there and get moved in and start doing the stuff you do with a new house, painting and you know living in it and making it feel like it's home again. So, so that's. That's always a, a little bit of a struggle, but um, was proud to announce uh, last Saturday the launch of a new group uh, that I helped start with some local Central New York vets called Veterans Organized Central New York. And it's our effort to help veterans get involved in the politics and policy arena at the local, uh, state, and federal level. And I found moving back to central New York, that it was difficult to know. And I'm a guy who studied politics my whole life. I've been a political nerd since I was a kid. And it was a little intimidating for me to come back and to try to plug in and interface into the local community organizing space, because there was a little bit of difficulty in translation between what your typical community organizer knows about the military and what our average veteran can bring to uh, that space. So we're hoping to bridge that gap a little bit, this, the civ mill divide. And we had a great launch party at Stout Beard Brewing Company in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse at about 30, 35 people, a bunch of veterans. And shout out, I, I'll do the shout out now, but uh, Irene Workman is a Navy veteran and she is running for Onondaga County Legislator in the 11th County Legislative District. And she announced her candidacy at the launch event. So that was a lot of fun and really humbling to see you know, the outpouring. And I think my favorite thing, Andrea, was there's a lot of familiar faces, a lot of people who have been involved in the community organizing movement in Syracuse and Central New York for a long time. But folks who said, oh, I didn't realize you were a veteran to various people in the room who, you know, they spent a lot of time around, done campaigning and canvassing and elections around. So it was good to sort of expand the awareness of veterans in our uh, local communities. But outside of that, I've also started uh, door dashing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, I guess I'm a delivery driver, really just a way to, to make a few extra bucks and for now, it's a good way to get reacquainted back with the broader central New York area um, until I can finally switch my driver's license back and start driving Uber and Lyft, which will be fun. 
but uh, no kidding. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yesterday, I spent 15 minutes in a Chuck E. Cheese picking up a pizza. Someone door dashed a pizza from Chuck E. Cheese. And, Why Chuck E. Cheese? Uh, yeah, am I missing something? Is there pizza? If you work at Chuck E. Cheese and you have some insight into the pizza there, drop us a line because uh, I spent way more time. Man, I haven't been in there in like uh, at least a few years. <laughs> and it was, uh, it was about as horrific as I, as I remember as a kid. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but lots of fun and interesting things and, and a great way to see the city. So speaking of New York, Andrea, what is, what are a few of the things going around the state this upcoming few weeks? And so one other thing with kind of what's going on, and this this is a good seeg. So uh, last week we had the New York 19th Congressional District Veterans Advisory Committee meeting with Antonio Delgado, um, our new congressman, um, who has really uh, walked the talk and hit the ground running when it comes to, um, being very active about supporting veterans in the district. Um, his very first piece of legislation that he proposed was to support um, surviving spouses. And um, he proposed two amendments to the child care bill that we talked about. And so that was a really great meeting. Um, and then, uh, so upcoming on the evening of February 28th, the New York State Division of Veterans Affairs, Sage Vet, at Sage Vets and the Richard C. Fia uh, LGBTQ Commission of the New York State Courts will co-host a community forum for veterans and their family members who identify as LGBTQIA. There will be free assistance with claims and appeals for federal and state veterans benefits, discharge upgrade appeals, employment resources, VA healthcare enrollment, uh, landlord-tenant disputes, consumer protection matters, and much more um, from over a dozen agencies and organizations. So again, that's February 28th, this Thursday. The venue is going to be at the LGBT Community Center at 208 West 13th Street in Manhattan. It will begin at 6.30 p.m. and will end... Uh, when every veteran and family member present has been assisted. So if you're in the greater New York City area or can get there, and that's something that would really support you, um, February 28th, LGBT Community Center at 208 West 13th Street in Manhattan. Thanks to uh, Ben Pomeranz, uh, who brought that to our attention, as he uh, frequently does. He's uh, He's a great advocate for veterans. Um, there is also in the Finger Lakes area this upcoming Saturday, March 2nd from 7 to 9 p.m. at the Center, 1 Hoffman Street in Auburn, New York. Um, there's a free veterans benefit concert. Eric Haynes, who's a veteran himself, will be performing, and all proceeds will go to benefit Clear Path for Veterans, which if you haven't been there, definitely go. Great organization. And now we get to talk about the things that are happening around the country that impact veterans. Deep breaths. (laughs) There's a lot of them this week. (laughs) Um, I'll start off by talking about uh, President Trump, as many people are aware, issued a national emergency declaration after he didn't get his way in Congress because apparently he forgot that we are a federal republic and not a 
tyrannical dictatorship. But anyway, we have a national emergency now, which means that he will be forcing the military to build a wall at the southern border. Um, details so far are unclear, but what is clear, um, and I spoke about this at a rally held in Syracuse on President's Day, what is clear is where the money is coming from to build a wall. And it is coming from six up to $6 billion, with, that's billion with a B, $6 billion coming from the Military Construction and Veterans Affairs Fund. And this announcement coincided with a bombshell report about the state of military housing and military family housing across the country. We're talking about black mold. We're talking about rodents, insect infestation. This is real daily life for military families around the country. And I have some personal experience here. My last duty station or one of my last duty stations was in Fort Meade, Maryland, where we put our brand new service members. These are our youngest people who we are training and want to keep around forever. We put them up in barracks that are just riddled with black mold. And our fix for them, because Congress is unwilling to act, our fix is to just tell them to scrub the black mold off, wash their clothes. Meanwhile, we're not reimbursing them for laundry detergent, for cleaning supplies. So basically what, I, what I'm trying to say here is that we are taking money exactly from the people who need it at exactly the wrong time to build a monument to something that is completely counter to our values, Andrea. And that makes me pretty, uh, pretty mad and sad for our country because we are taking billions of dollars from military families and military service members and putting it towards something that has absolutely zero value to them and, and many others. Yeah, I'm really, really just not okay with this. Yeah, uh, the wall on a number of levels, right, is just reasonable people perhaps can disagree on the efficacy of a wall, maybe, but certainly subverting constitutional government to get to it is wrong. And of course, there are ways that Congress can, they can end the emergency declaration by a resolution themselves. That's sort of our last constitutional stand. Um, and that sits in the Republicans court in the house and in the Senate, I'm not holding my breath, but <sighs> folks, you know who to call, keep calling them. Yeah. Um, so in other news, um, a, a lower federal court, uh, deemed that, um, it was unconstitutional to, um, exclude women from, um, being required to sign up for the draft. Um, it was really only a matter of time before this decision came. The lawsuit was actually brought by a men's interest group um, that essentially we're going to we're going to make things very very uh, simplified here. That essentially it was unfair that men had to sign up and women didn't. Um, and uh, it was deemed unconstitutional in large part because of. Uh, looking at a, the the pre so so the supreme the supreme court last ruled on this in 1981 and deemed that uh, the, the, with the majority opinion written by um, William Rehnquist essentially argued that um, 
it was constitutional to exclude women from the draft because the point of the selective service was to draft combat troops. And of course, women were not in combat. Now, um, right. Sorry. So uh, Justice Thurgood Marshall wrote the dissent. um, And um, in that dissent, um, he said, and um, if you bear with me, I'm actually going to read the exact quote. Um, He said that um, it categorically excludes women from a fundamental civic obligation. Now, the reason I say this, there was only a ma- it was only a matter of time before this started to make its way through the courts again, is that the reason for the, the opinion of the Supreme Court in 1981 no longer exists because, as we all know, in 2016, uh, all roles were opened to anybody, men and women, who could meet set occupational standards um, for different roles in the military. So the the ban that was cited is no longer in place. Now, here's the other interesting thing, and I want to provide a little bit of extra history here, just because, because we can, because we're on the subject. So the interesting thing is that, um, over the last century, the Department of Defense and Congress have repeatedly changed the definition of combat, um, either by policy or statute, essentially to say that women aren't in it. Um, again, this is by policy, but by practice, they always are. Um, and and interestingly, women were not actually officially banned from combat positions until after World War II, um, when they were fully incorporated into the armed forces in 1948. Um, and in 1948, the prohibition was uh, from duty and aircraft engaged in combat and vessels engaged in or likely to be engaged in combat missions, which is interesting because ground combat isn't even uh, mentioned in the 1948 definition. And it wasn't even the first time this had been addressed. Um, women were drafted into home defense roles in uh the Auxiliary Territorial Service in the UK. Um, They were very, very effective, and the U.S. was looking at going to a similar model, um, did a study to look into it, and were actually, like, so shocked at how well women did that they um, totally hid and torched the study because they were just didn't think the American public was prepared um, to draft women in any capacity. Right. Um, so that's just an interesting bit of history. And, and this, this issue has made its way through courts and policy multiple times. Um, but I want to go past that 1981 Supreme Court decision, well past Korea and Vietnam, um, to 1988 when we got the risk rule. So the risk rule is just like complete word gymnastics to say that women were excluded from missions or units where the risks of exposure to direct combat, hostile fire, or capture were equal to or greater than the risks of the combat units they supported. Which, again, when you think about, like, what the military does is just, like, ridiculous. This is, at this point, it's continuing to create combat as this, like, mythical protected space where the men are. Right. Um, Especially because, you know, when we're thinking about timeline... More than 200 women participated in the campaigns in Panama and um, Grenada. More than 40,000 women were on the ground for Desert Storm and Desert Shield. 
Um, and so again, recognizing that uh, practice was not even close to policy, in 94, we ended up with an inversion of the 1948 definition of combat. Um, combatant ships and aircraft were open to women. Ground combat units were still closed, and the um, government actually defined combat um, as engaging an enemy on the ground with individual or crew-served weapons while being exposed to hostile fire to, to a high probability of direct physical contact with the hostile forces personnel. Direct ground combat takes place well forward on the battlefield while locating and closing with the enemy um, to defeat them by fire, maneuver, or shock effect. Um, okay, so like as everybody knows, this falls apart in practice because women were and are in combat. Um, we've all like seen it in the last 20 years. Um, so what ends up happening is that women just don't get credit for the work that they did. Um, this has detrimental results for their careers while they're on active duty um, and for how they're cared for when they come home as veterans. Um, so now just to catch up, let's get to 20, you know, the 2013, 2016 era. So in 2013, SecDef Panetta announced that the ban on women in ground combat roles was going to be lifted pending review. So he gave two years to all of the armed forces to basically say why they would need an exception to policy, and otherwise all of these roles were going to open. And a couple of roles did. Um, submarines open to women, some um, artillery positions open to women. Um, and then at the end of 2015, Sec SecDef Carter um, basically said, ignored the Marine Corps' request for an exception, said that we are a joint force, and said that without exceptions, the ban would be lifted. So, okay, so how, what does this have to do with this case, this court case? Um, so now that all roles are open to both men and women pending meeting occupational standards, that again means that the reason for that 1981 case in the Supreme Court no longer exists. So in the markup for the fiscal year 2017 NDAA, um, in calendar year 2016, um, Congressman Duncan Hunter proposed what he thought was going to be a gotcha amendment um, requiring women to register for the draft. And he did it because he thought that de Democrats were going to vote against it and that he could be like, oh, ha ha. What a, um, what a friggin idiot. I know. What a fucking moron. Um, and... Um, and uh, yeah, so it backfired and it had... Pretty overwhelming bipartisan support. Um, my then member of Congress, uh, a Republican, Chris Gibson, supported it. Uh, Republican Martha McSally supported it. it and it, it passed 32 to 30 out of the uh, House Armed Services Committee. It passed the House. And it made it pretty far into the Senate where it was voted down at the very last minute. And of course you get really, really patronizing sexist remarks from Ted Cruz, who says the idea that we should forcibly conscript young girls in combat to my mind makes no sense at all. Um, yeah, but yeah, Ted Cruz is off the Zodiac yeah, yeah. Adult women. But um, so it didn't make it through the Senate. 
What the Senate did instead um, that I think is actually really fantastic is that they created the National Commission on Military, National, and Public Service, um, which overall is looking at propensity to serve. Um, And they recently released their interim report. I highly recommend you take a look at it. Um, One of the things they're looking at is, um, you know, should we even have selective service at all? Should we rethink what selective service looks like? Um, So we have now kind of these two things going on where a selective service is signing up for selective service is currently a requirement for men. Um, a lower court has deemed that it is unconstitutional to categorically exclude women. Um, <laughs> and then on the other side, we also have the conversation of should we even have selective service at all? So um, just thought that was very interesting, uh, interesting news in, in the world of what affects veterans, Roger. Yeah, <laughs> I, I am just going to repeat something that one of our favorite people, Pam Campos-Palma, tweeted out uh, yesterday, which is sort of to underscore this whole point and the people now making cheap pot shots about women serving in combat, which as you rightly note, they have since we've been a country. Um, She says, underestimate women at your own peril. And I think that's an important thing to keep in mind. We should not be underestimating the daughters and wives who will defend us just as well as the sons and husbands. So with that, um, we want to talk about a couple of changes in the Department of Veterans Affairs that happened recently. Um, The Veterans Appeals Improvement and Modernization Act uh, was finalized um, and is now a thing. And it is an effort by the Department of Veterans Affairs to update the VA disability compensation and other benefits to provide faster decision for veterans who are trying to obtain updated uh, disability compensations. Um, the old system, as everyone knows, took a long time. We're talking, I, hear, I see here, an, an average of three to seven years. Right. A lot longer than that in practice. Uh, the new one apparently could get vener- veterans a final decision in as little as 125 days, which, if you're doing the math like me, is a little over four months. Uh, certainly, certainly better, but we will, we'll see how it exists in practice. Um, some things that you can do through their online portal and your healthcare provider, uh, you have three options for appealing a decision on a claim. You can submit extra evidence for another review. You can receive a review from a higher level adjudicator without submitting extra evidence, or you can go directly to the board of veterans appeals for a full hearing. So know your options. You have them. I do not share Secretary Wilkie's exuberance. He is claiming that this is a a historic moment. Uh, Sorry to break it to the secretary, but this is really the Department of VA at least intimating that they're actually going to do their jobs. So Let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. But if you're a veteran, know that you have three options now and that the VA is attempting to speed up your disability compensation claims. Also in uh, news at the VA, there are um, 49,000 vacancies, um, 42,790 of which are um, 
within the VA healthcare system and 24,800 in the medical and dental fields. Um, which is interesting also considering that the VA has proposed new rules for veterans to access private doctors, um, which would um, revolutionize VA healthcare as we know it. Um, I personally have mixed feelings about this. Um, I oh, do yeah. generally think it's great that <sighs> they changed expansion to being able to go out to see private care of, a th- of 30 minutes versus 30 miles. Where that is great is places like Boston or New York City, where it can take a very long time to travel very short geographic distances. Um, And on that note, I really, really have to quote the most incredible tweet I have ever seen in my life um, that Nikki Wentling shared. I know what Um, you're about to read and I love it. uh, Honestly, I was laughing for like 40 minutes. Um, So apparently um, a veteran was denied um, care at a specialist because the VA said that um, the veteran was more than was 35 miles from a VA hospital as the crow flies. (laughs) 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 I'm just like, I'm looking at this and I'm just dying. Get through the (laughs) quote, man. We're not editing a second of this. <laughs> Let me know if you need to call, tap me in. <laughs> Roger, I need help. I can't do this. <laughs> I don't. I don't have the tweet up in front of me, but uh, he's thirty-five said, minutes. Okay, thirty-five miles from the VA hospital as the crow flies, but I do not have a rideable. <laughs> yeah. So, in your face, VA. This is the gift that keeps on giving. I'm a little concerned that Ted Cruz is going to propose uh, passenger crows uh, in the next VA budget. So, yeah. Simply, I'm, really, I'm okay. <laughs> we we made it through. Um, we should say, though, on a, on a slightly more serious note, that there's concern about these changes, obviously. We've noted the RAND study that said, hey, 98% of doctors in the state of New York are not prepared to give adequate treatment to veterans under the Mission Act as we shift, yeah. as we privatize veterans' health care. Health care, by the way, that once you have access to it, by and large, is pretty good with a few exceptions. Uh, the deputy legislative director for the disabled um, for disabled American veterans uh, said that we and he's right lack basic information such as cost analyses or estimates. How much is this going to cost the taxpayer? How much is this going to cost veterans up front? Because there's going to be some sort of not very user friendly interface by way of having to pay for the services and then get reimbursed or not get reimbursed, and it's going to be a pain in the butt. We should note for our listeners that you can do something about this right now. The public has until March 25th to comment on the rule changes proposed by Secretary Wilkie. Um, We encourage you to go to the Department of VA website, look over the rule changes, learn for yourself, educate yourself, and then comment on the rules. Who knows what the agency will actually do with them? But if we don't comment, 
we'll never know. So I encourage you to do something uh, about this. And, you know, before Andrew, we get into another topic, I just want to bump something that Senator Tester said today as we talk about costs, right? And seemingly we have all the money in the world to privatize healthcare for veterans. But when it comes to providing access to care for Blue Water Navy vets who are exposed to Agent Orange or Iraq and Afghanistan and now Syria veterans who are exposed to toxic burn pits or anything else, Republicans can't find the money in the budget for that, but they can find it for big pharma and big hospitals. Um, and Senator Tester said it very, very well, I think, at the American Legion uh, uh, fireside chat earlier today. He said, veteran costs are the costs of war. If you can't stomach the cost, or for the VA, the effort required to administer to veterans, stop sending people to war. It's that simple. We need to start factoring in the cost of what it takes to care for veterans in the United States into when we send United States soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, Coast Guardsmen, and women into harm's way. Yeah. I mean, we talked about all these things in the meeting with Congressman Delgado last week. And, and you know, the members, it's a nonpartisan committee. The members um, all fall in different parts of the political in the political spectrum, but we were all in pretty violent agreement that no matter what happens, the care really needs to be coordinated. If, if people are going out, out in the community, care still needs to be coordinated by the VA for this explicit reason that most providers are not equipped to serve veterans. And if they are going to serve veterans, not only should it be coordinated by the VA, but they should be required to receive continuing medical education on, on it. Um, you know, I, I think about this a lot, you know, on, on this point of, well, if you don't want to pay for veterans, don't send them to war. And the AUMF and, and all of this authorization to continue these overseas conflicts. And oh, by the way, Marines currently at boot camp who were born after 9-11 are being educated on 9-11 at boot camp. Like, just, just let that let that sink in for a little bit. Um, I almost wonder, it's like, well, why don't we just like look at the AUMF in the VA committee because we're going to end up having to pay for it anyway, right? Like, no, that's not something that's going to happen, but it's getting so tragically absurd that it's, it's just like, well, we really need to start reframing the way that we approach these things. And I think that, and this will seg into the next thing I want to talk about, but congressional oversight whether over their own constitutionally authorized powers or whether it's, and this is something we're dealing with in upstate New York, as you know, the U.S. Department of Agriculture failing to enforce milk fair pricing standards and organic standards for organic milk that is leading to a crisis in the dairy market in upstate New York as out-of-state milk from factory farms floods dairies. But that's a topic for a different podcast because the next thing we want to talk about is that more than two dozen advocacy groups are calling on the secretary of the VA to get GI Bill funds out of the coffers, out of the hands of for-profit predatory schools like Trump University once was, um, and to protect veterans using 
their educational benefits. Um, this was after yeah, services school was we were a signatory on that. Yeah, this was after an audit found lax oversight could result in two point three billion dollars in tuition benefits going to predatory schools over the next five years. We don't need to build a wall, but there's part of your funding right there, Mr. President. Um, we need to do a better job of oversight and making sure that people who are out to make a quick buck aren't making it on the backs of the U.S. taxpayers and on the backs of military service members and veterans trying to use the benefits that they've earned. And I know that, Andrea, you have some thoughts on that topic, but also you've written recently about service members going to school to seek uh, college education. Yes. Um, so a uh, Fletcher classmate and um, enlisted Marine veteran and reservist, John Phillips, and I both co-authored a piece um, in CNAS about rethinking higher education for, excuse me, for enlisted service members. So um, the military in general really, really values education, um, but I, they, I, I would say that they value it more for officers. Um, and the reason I say that is there are like a dozen different programs across the services for um, commissioned officers to receive full-time graduate education, um, whether at a civilian or um, military institution like the Naval War College or postgraduate school, but, the, but, but a lot of civilian education opportunities to receive a master's. Now, there are um, opportunities for enlisted service members to do that, but the vast, vast majority of them um, result in a commission. So there's some kind of um, green to gold, uh, there's some kind of green to gold program, um, or like Seaman Admiral 21 that we have in the Navy. Um, but what it really... What it, but the reason for all that is really based on this antiquated idea that uh, commissioned officers have a degree and enlisted don't. And um, I mean, the non-commissioned officer corps is one of the best components of the U.S. military. We literally train other militaries on how to have a great NCO corps. Um, I've witnessed it firsthand in NATO. Um, and our enlisted service members are strategic thinkers. They are both technical experts and strategic thinkers. And the force could really benefit by providing a mechanism for um, enlisted service members to, say, spend two or three years. You know, if they apply as a transfer, they might spend two years there. But let's say three years, saying, assuming that they're going to go as like a transfer or take classes in the summer at say a liberal arts college like Amherst or Williams or an Ivy league school like Harvard or Yale or, or a flagship public university like Arizona state or the university of Michigan, where they can really just take that time to think and develop and combine their technical expertise with that opportunity to think critically in a purely academic environment, and then be able to bring that experience back to the force. So check it out. Um, It's called the Strategic Corporal. Um, It's on Center for New American Security. Um, And we'll have it in the show notes, and I keep retweeting it, so check out Twitter. 
I, I loved it and, and great job. I, I guess I'll ask a question since uh, you have thought about this a lot. And this is something that I heard after uh, as one of the possible criticisms of your piece is, does this sort of put a priority on college education when maybe that's not what we should be prioritizing? Does it sort of put college education on, on a pedestal? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Um, hmm. Are we putting college education on a pedestal? Um, does, does, and, and maybe to flip it, and we don't usually do this on the air, so this will be fun, but uh, yeah. do, do all officers need a college education? You know, is it, is college the goal or, or what are we, what are we striving for? No, I think higher edu- higher education is the goal. Full-time education is the goal. And the means that we do that is through, um, through college. And the means that we do that is through a, receiving a bachelor's degree. Look, college is for everybody. Um, the last year working in higher ed has made that abundantly clear. College is for everybody. Um, and college can work for everybody. Now and 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 it and if uh, going if and if one goes to a reputable institution, one will be better than uh, had they not gone. Um, you know, we could get into the nuts and bolts of of why where that matters, um, particularly from a financial standpoint, if we want to. But um, where you know where their differences is that. Some schools are going to be better for different people, whether it's from an academic experience, from a cost perspective, from being part-time or full-time. Um, community college, community college, by the way, is amazing. Um, but that, and that's why I say college is for everybody. Um, now, what you study there, what you work on there, how you choose to improve yourself, how you choose to engage in an environment where the very purpose is to improve yourself and be able to leave with um, a return on investment that you can then contribute to society, whether through a skill or your intellectual capital. Um, I think it's a worthwhile investment. And yes, it does still matter. Yeah, I agree. I think education is is very important. And denying it to enlisted service members, uh, at least in equal weight, is wrong because a strong non-commissioned officer corps makes the military. Um, so what else? There was a moment, Andrea, I think of where people thought something important might have changed. Did you hear about this? Yes. So um, the VA's motto um, is a quote from um, Abraham Lincoln, and it's to care for him who shall have borne the battle and for his widow and his orphan, um, which is a, a great quote. And it's outside the VA headquarters, and it's um, inside several um, prominently displayed in many uh, VA facilities. Um, but critics, you know, say that it is um, both sexist and heteronormative, um, as there are women veterans. Um, there are male veterans who are mar- not married to women. Um, and um, there was a um, program, an event at the VA that interesting, I was actually really impressed with how 
um, they changed it, but they, they quoted essentially the important part of um, the, the quote about those who have borne the battle. Um, but then they said, and then for their, their partners and survivors or spouses and survivors, um, which I thought was a really awesome way of paraphrasing it. Um, now, you know, I, 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 I would generally say, actually I would hundred percent say that it is, um, it's challenging and very frustrating that that is the motto, whether or not the intent is sexist and, you know, quoting Abraham Lincoln is just great. Um, but it, 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 it does unintentionally cause harm because it is a reminder every single day that the VA was built for heterosexual men. And, um, there are some advocacy groups for for whom um, changing the motto is a hill that they are willing to die on. Um, I do think it's an important part of the conversation. But what I found very interesting was not that the the motto was changed in here, but that but how um, adamant. Um, political appointee agency spokespeople were that it was a mistake. And right. that's what I find really interesting yeah, yeah. is not that, that it was kind of sneak change. It was like, okay, that's cool. It was that the reaction was, Oh no, 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 no. It was a horrible, horrible mistake. <laughs> right. And now, you know, I had personally been on like really, I, I was feeling pretty neutral about it. I think there are a lot of things that need improvement in the VA to make it more accessible to women um, and queer veterans. Um, and that just, and the motto is, is one of those nice to haves, but it's not high on my list. But when I saw that response, then I, then I started to be like, okay, well that's pretty indicative of a lot of other cultural issues. Um, and seems very par for the course from this administration. So, yeah. We should note that there are two, mem- at least two right now, uh, members of the House of Representatives who are working to change the motto. And those are uh, Representative Kathleen Rice from downstate in New York and also Republican Brian Mast of Florida, who's a disabled war veteran as well. So, Perhaps we should listen to them. Uh, this is an issue that has bipartisan support. It hurts nobody to change the motto to be more inclusive of the people who actually fight our nation's wars today. So with that, Andrea, um, who do we have for shout-outs uh, today? I mentioned Irene Workman earlier in the show, but also I wanted to note uh, her son-in-law, friend of mine, Charlie Pogue. He's a Marine veteran at Syracuse University, and my sort of guy for graphics design and also bad Marine Corps jokes, <laughs> um, he just announced that he'll be on Representative Brindisi's Veterans Advisory Committee. So that's great news for Charlie and even better news for Anthony Brindisi because he's getting quite an excellent advocate and human being. Yes. And for another shout out, um, shout out to a friend of the pod, uh, Pat Ryan, um, who 
ju- uh, fellow member of uh, New York 19th Congressional District uh, Veterans Advisory Committee who just won his nomination to be the he, uh, he is the Democratic nominee for Ulster County County Executive. Um, so congratulations, Pat. Congrats, Pat. And then have we talked about how, I mean, we're coming to the end of the show here, as you can probably tell. Have we talked about how ridiculous the weather is right now? It is. It's windy. It's very windy. I'm supposed to be in Austin, Texas right now. Got to the airport at at, at Syracuse at 6 a.m., really 5 a.m. Almost didn't make it. The roads and the wind were bad. Just to have my flight canceled uh, to tomorrow or when you'll be listening to this when it comes out, which is Tuesday. So it is, it's pretty bad. I don't remember wind this bad in a long, long time. So what, what else are we doing on this pod? I don't know. Do you want to, do we need to do a little tap code? I think we've run out of ideas here. <laughs> I know, yeah, yeah. Or at least things we can talk about. Um, I know. I want to talk about all the things, but I can't talk about the things. I know. Well, that just means that folks will have to stay tuned. We've got a great lineup of guests that we have sort of gnawed out for the rest of the winter and the spring. So folks will have to tune in. If you haven't already, leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcasting app. We appreciate those of you who have, and also those of you who have reached out. Uh, Andrea and I have written a lot of things yeah. over the past month or two uh, as this season has progressed, and we appreciate hearing from you on our website and on social media. You can join the discussion there. We are at Two Vets Upstate, and that's the number two. I'm at Roger Misso, and Andrea, you are. At an underscore Goldstein. Oh wow, we have a we have a five rating on iTunes, Roger. You don't, you don't jinx that, man. That's like, you know, saying good luck in a movie theater. You just no, but honestly, you gotta you gotta, you gotta go outside, turn around three times, and spit. Now, no, but you know, you know what though? If we if we have hate listeners, I I, I welcome our hate listeners because you're still listening. That is true, and we know of a few, so. Um, hate us or love us, give us a rating, make it five stars. Maybe, you know, subscribe to our Patreon. <laughs> but uh, Andrea, good luck to you with your move. Um, congratulations on your success so far and your success to come. And I will talk to you in another two weeks at our next episode. Sounds good, dude. Take care. Good night, everybody. Hugs and rears of dreams